like you're at a disadvantage this morning because Jesus is not here physically sitting right next to you. He's up there in heaven. But what Paul has something to say to you this morning, it's an amazing thing. I want to read it here in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. <clears throat> to them, God has chosen. Do you know that God chose you? Did you know that? He didn't have to, but he chose you. You didn't have to wake up this morning, but God chose you for a purpose today. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles. That means everybody who is not a Jew, that this message is not just for a certain people group, but it's for everybody. It doesn't matter what color your skin is, whether you got an accent. It doesn't matter who you are or where you come from. This message is for all. To make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is, you want to know the mystery? Come on, you want to know the mystery? Can you lean in, like lean in? I want to see everybody lean in like you're ready to hear something, which is Christ in you. Christ in you, the hope of glory which is an incredible thing for many of us because for most of us, we think God is being up there somewhere and if we could just be good enough and if we could just pray enough, then maybe God will come down and bless our lives. Or we think of God as somewhere out there, somewhere. And God is above and he is all around, but the greatest news in the history of this world is Christ in you. And because he is in you, if he's in you, you have the hope glory. Jesus is seated on his throne in heaven. Just a side note. This one's for free this morning. Jesus is seated next to his Father in heaven. So who is Christ in you? The Holy Spirit. Living inside you, dwelling in your heart. So if he's in you, you have the hope of glory today. I want you to high five three people around you and say, Christ in you. Thank you, Robin. You're, you're awesome. Christ in you. <clears throat> I want to I preach to you today on a subject, and I know that you have heard this phrase before. It's kind of a cliche statement, um, but I want to preach to you uh, about how God works in mysterious ways. He works in mysterious... I'm just kidding. I'm not going to sing you too. <laughs> I know you've heard that before. Did you like my voice? I'm just kidding. I know you've heard that before, but I want to talk to you a little bit uh, in the light of Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, which says, to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I want to share with you how God works in mysterious ways. But before I do, uh, I want you to turn to the person next to you. Turn to the person next to you right now, please. We're going to have to participate a little bit today. I know you don't want to, but it's all good. If you looked at somebody and they were looking at somebody else, I'm sorry for that awkward moment, but just find somebody who is available around you. I want you to look at that person, smile, not a creepy smile, but just a nice, polite smile, and say, God works in mysterious ways. Say it like you mean it. God works in mysterious ways. <clears throat> and then tell them, and then tell them, if you need proof, 
just look in the mirror. <clears throat> yeah, some of you are just getting that one. Okay, it's all good. He works in mysterious ways. I want to tell you this story rather than just preach it to you uh, because my prayer is that you would be able to find yourself in this story. And I believe that there are some things that God wants to show you about your relationship with him today. I believe God wants to display his amazing power through you. But before he can do something in you or through you, he has to do something in you. And we're going to see the power of one encounter with Jesus Christ, the power of one interaction with Jesus. Not just for one person, but for everybody that that person would come into contact with thereafter. And so God wants to do something in you today. And in John chapter 4, I want to pick up in verse 1. John chapter 4, verse 1, so that you can get the context of what's going on. The scripture says, in John chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John. Now the John he's speaking to you about is, is John the Baptist. And you know you're doing pretty good in ministry when you're baptizing more people than the guy who's nicknamed the Baptist, right? I mean, Jesus is doing pretty good. He's gaining popularity. He's growing in effectiveness. And people are starting to talk, particularly the Pharisees, the religious ruling class of Jesus' day are beginning to talk about him. And so all kinds of religious rumors are beginning to spread and the work of what Jesus was doing. And it says in verse 2 that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, though Jesus himself didn't baptize them. His disciples did. So the religious rumors were not entirely accurate, but when has that ever stopped religious people from talking? When has the truth ever gotten in the way of a good, juicy, religious rumor? Maybe not much has changed, but they're talking about Jesus. And you would expect that since he came to save the world, and that, you know, that he would make the most of this opportunity, while everyone has their attention on him, to announce the fact that he is Lord, that he is ruler, that he is the Messiah, because now he has traction. Everybody's eyes are on him. And I mean, if you were his agent and you were, you know, he was having a PR campaign or something like that, you would be advising Jesus in this situation. You would be saying, hey, Jesus, now is the time to start making some appearances on TV shows. Okay, now is the time that you want to get on that talk show. This is the time where you want to make your move. You see, everyone is talking about you. We got buzz. We got traffic. Hashtag Jesus. Everybody is talking about you. Yet it says in verse 3, and it's really strange. So he left Judea, which was like the base of operations in the south, and returned to Galilee, which was his hometown in the north. And so this seems strange to us that Jesus would leave Judea at a time when he's just beginning 
to pick up traction. He's just beginning to get the attention, and it's now time to make his move. But it's really strange that he would now choose this time to move from Judea up to Galilee. But if you think that's strange, verse 4 is even stranger. It says that he had to go through Samaria on the way. Now, there are two things that really grab my attention about the text. Number one, when it, when it says that he had to go. You see that? It says that Jesus had to go. You know, when Jesus goes somewhere, I would like to think it's because he wants to go to that place, right? I mean, he's the boss of the world. So the boss, you know, determines his hours and he's the one that makes his own schedule. So to say that Jesus had to go somewhere, that gets my attention. But then when it says that he had to go through Samaria, that takes it to a whole nother level. Because Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. Jewish people hated Samaritan people. Samaritan people hated Jewish people. I mean, this was a conflict that, that started hundreds of years before this, when the kingdom was split into a northern and southern kingdom, the people in the north began to marry and have children with other people outside of the Jewish people. And so the people in the south looked at them with disdain, like you, like you betrayed our God, you betrayed our people by you know, sleeping with and, and intermarrying with another people. And so this was a conflict that had been raising for hundreds of years. This isn't like they got mad at each other last year over a close game of Connect Four. You know what I'm saying? Like they didn't have a really close game of Jenga and then they got mad at each other. This is years and decades and centuries of racial and religious tension between these two groups. And so most Jews, if they ever had to go from Judea to Galilee, like Jesus was about to go, would travel around Samaria. It wasn't the shortest route, but they would literally go out of their way because Samaria was between Judea in the south and Galilee in the north. But rather than go through Samaria and bump into a Samaritan, they would rather go all the way around Samaria to get to Galilee. But Jesus had to go. Jesus had to go through Samaria. And here's why. Here's what I want to say to you from this. Jesus will always move away from religious drama and toward the need of people who are hurting. He will always move away from religious drama and toward the needs of people who are hurting. Jesus will always go out of his way to find and help people who others will go out of their way to avoid. You see, God won't show up or stay very long in a church that is more about keeping people out than bringing people in. And that's what the Pharisees were so known for at this point. I mean, this was their reputation among the people. I mean, I'm sure their hearts had started out in the right place, but they had formed a little club where it became more about arguing about God than offering to experience the presence of God to others. And so Jesus says, you know what? Y'all can talk about who's baptizing more, me or John. I don't really care. I'm out of here because I got to go to Samaria and meet somebody. I've got an appointment. I've got some work to do. Come on, somebody. Because Jesus is always moving away from religious 
drama and toward the needs of hurting people. If your situation, if you're here this morning and your situation's a little complicated, if I looked on your Facebook and your relationship status said it's complicated, if you're hurting and a little tore up this morning, I want you to know that Jesus is coming straight for you. And not in a scary way, in a good way. He's coming straight for you. And we as a church, we exist so that you can experience the presence of God. Can I get an amen? So I'm curious, who is so important in Samaria that Jesus would go through there? Who is so important that Jesus would go through Samaria. I mean, I could just imagine Peter. Everybody know Peter, right? You know Peter. You've heard of Peter. I could just imagine Peter when Jesus said, hey, come on, boys. Let's go through Samaria. You know, because Peter was, you know, the disciple that always had something to say, but he never thought about what he was going to say before he said it, right? So a lot of times he would put his foot in his mouth. And that's why I like Peter so much. That's why I like reading about Peter, because I can identify with him and I can learn from his mistakes but I could just picture Peter saying, whoa, wait a minute, Jesus. What area? What area? And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Not some area. We're going to some area. You don't like my, my cheesy? Okay. Not some area, some area, right? Just, all right, anyways. It's not that funny. I thought it might be. <laughs> We're going to Samaria because I got an important meeting with somebody. Now, who is so important? Who is so important that Jesus would go to Samaria where he's hated to be around people he's supposed to hate, to have a meeting with them? There's just one appointment that Jesus has in Samaria. And verse 5 tells us, Look what it says here in verse 5. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. That well, by the way, is actually still there to this day. Did you know that? 75 feet deep. Even after all the debris that's fallen into it over all these years, that well is still there to this day. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk. And I love that it mentions this because it gives Jesus, you know, his human qualities. He was tired. He can relate with you. When you're tired, Jesus can relate with you. When you're just beat and you're worn out, he can relate with you. When you're disappointed, he can relate with you. When you're lonely and you feel like, Everybody's abandoning you. He can relate with you. But it says, Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well at about noon. He sat down. And that, 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 that detail about the, the time is really important. And I'm going to come back to it here in a moment. Because everything in the Bible has a purpose. Okay. Nothing in there is in there for no, no reason. There's a purpose behind everything that is in the Bible. And so Jesus sat wearily beside the well at about noon time. He's sitting down 
waiting at a well for someone. And what follows is the longest recorded conversation in the Bible between somebody else and Jesus. The longest conversation recorded between Jesus and somebody else. And in verse 7, it tells us who's on the other end of that conversation. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Any Jewish person reading this would have been utterly shocked by two things. She's a woman, number one. No offense, but you see, most Jewish men didn't speak very much to women because they weren't worth it in their eyes. You don't speak to a woman. And not only was she a woman, but she was a Samaritan woman. You know, you, you've heard the story about the Good Samaritan, right? And so in many of our minds, we might think of Samaritans as good, you know. But for the people, for the Jewish people hearing this, this was a shocking statement. It was like an oxymoron, you know what I'm saying? It's like a Good Samaritan, right? I mean, that's why Jesus shared it, because it was so shocking to them. Now, here's Jesus, and he speaks to someone that most Jewish teachers wouldn't even look at. In fact, most Jewish rabbis weren't even allowed to look at women in public. And here's Jesus speaking to a Samaritan woman. How scandalous. He goes on to say, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some in and out Verse 9, <laughs> the woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman with some attitude. Why are you asking me for a drink? In other words, you people don't speak to us unless you want something. Just like all men, you know, you don't come to us until you want something. You want me to get you a cold glass of water? I don't even know you. What do you want from me? And you're going to see in a moment why she reacted this way. You might think, man, chill out. But you'll see why she reacted this way, because all her life up to this point had been about people taking from her. And when life has been like that for you and you feel like people have just taken from you and taken from you and disappointed you and let you down, there's a sense in which you begin to approach God with the same attitude. As if he's just the taker, just like everybody else. And when all you ever hear is what God wants from you, you miss the point that anytime he asks something from you, it's not because he needs it. He's God. He wants something greater for you. And that's the case here with Jesus. Verse 10. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to. You know when people, they're like, do you know who I am? kind of a big deal, right? You don't know me. Most people know about me. Like when people say that, it's like a really arrogant, cocky thing, right? Jesus is the only one that can say that, and it's not cocky, right? It's not arrogant. I mean, he's like, hey, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. If you look in John chapter 7, he talks about this living water again, and he, ex 
And it says in John chapter 7, he was talking about the Holy Spirit, which, had, which he had not yet given because he had not yet been glorified. He hadn't yet been resurrected. So it's, a, it's an allusion to the Holy Spirit. So cool. But he says, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. Woman, I'm not asking you for water just, just because I'm thirsty. I mean, if I was just that thirsty, I would smack this well and a water fountain would come out. <laughs> but the woman still doesn't get what Jesus is saying, so she goes off in verse 11. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. She's looking at the external, right? Sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this is a well that is very deep. Where would you get this living water? Now, anytime you start a sentence when you're talking to Jesus with the phrase, you have nothing, you're wrong, okay? You're wrong. They told him later in John chapter 6 when he wanted to feed 5,000 men, women, and children, and they said, but you don't have anything to feed them with. And he said, hey, just bring me your fish and chips and I will multiply it and everybody will have enough food and they'll have some to go home with too. Because when you have Jesus, you have everything you need. But the woman didn't know that yet and she couldn't see that because of all she could see was that Jesus didn't have a bucket. The external. You forgot your bucket. I see what's going on here. You forgot your bucket. And now you want me to help you out. And the well is deep. By the way, she came, I told you I was going to tell you about the time, right? She came at noon because she didn't want to be bothered by anybody. Nobody went to the well at noon. Do you know how hot it is at Jacob's well? I've never been to the Middle East, but it just like, the message I get is that it's hot, okay? At noontime in that part of the world, it is hot. You either go before sun comes up or when the sun is going down, but you don't go at noon. That's the time when it's most crowded at dawn or at dusk, but at noon you don't go. At noon you could go and not be bothered by anybody. So this woman, you got to feel for her because she went out in the heat of the day so that she wouldn't have to see anybody, and then she meets her maker and doesn't even know it. Surprise! You have a meeting with God, right? And so she comes to the well with her bucket, right? She comes to the well with her bucket, not looking to meet God or have her life change or have some kind of experience with God. And here's Jesus hanging out on a well saying, I've got better water to give you. I got better water to give you. And she's looking at the guy trying to figure out, how are you going to give me water without a bucket? Verse 12. And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us the well? He's like, yeah, in fact, I made Jacob, right? So, uh, yeah, I think I might be greater than Jacob who gave us the well. How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon be thirsty again. Everyone who comes to this well for water will only last for but a minute. 
Everyone who drinks from this bucket that you're putting down into that well will never be fully satisfied. Verse 14. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them. You see, it's not an outer thing. It's an inner thing. Giving them eternal life. You see the connection? Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus says, you're so focused on what's going around you that you're missing what I want to do in you. All you can see is the bucket. But woman, it's not about the bucket. It's not about the bucket. I want to do something fresh within you that will become a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And what I love so much about this is that this woman came to a well with a bucket, and while she was there, she met a well that didn't need a bucket. I love that. She came to a well and met a well. How awesome is Jesus? This is good stuff. The Bible is so exciting. He's using the well as a prop. He's not just using it for a water break. He came here on purpose to meet this woman. And she was so important to Jesus that he waited on her. Who in the world are you? And who am I? That our Lord Jesus Christ would wait on us while we run around trying to get better buckets. You see, we spend a lot of time running around looking for buckets, don't we? Got, got my bucket. I'm not happy. I'm not satisfied. So maybe if I get a better bucket, maybe then I'll be satisfied. You know, maybe if I, if I, get a, if I, if I leave my husband or my wife and I have a new husband or wife, maybe I'll, I'll be finally satisfied. If I get a new boyfriend or girlfriend or if I have sex with that person, maybe I will fully be satisfied at that point. In fact, I want to show you a few more buckets so that we can kind of connect with this illustration, okay? I got a few more buckets. Right? Hold on. All right. There we go. You know, maybe, maybe if I get a better bucket, maybe if I get a better bucket, maybe if I, if I clean things up in my life, if I, if I paint it up a little bit, maybe Jesus will love me more. Maybe then I will be finally satisfied. No, I need more. No. Maybe if I get a smaller bucket, maybe if I lose some weight, maybe if I can start working out in the gym and I start working out a little bit, maybe then I'll be happy. Maybe then I'll be finally happy with myself and I'll be fully satisfied if I get skinnier and smaller and tiny and you can barely see me anymore, right? Maybe, maybe that's me, right? Or maybe, maybe if we finally have some kids. I know our marriage isn't going well, but maybe kids will solve the problem. You know, maybe kids is the problem in our life. And so maybe if I have some children, maybe I'll be satisfied. Maybe that will fill the void in my life or in my heart. No, not that one. Okay. Or maybe I, if I clean things up a little bit, if I start cleaning up my life a little bit, then maybe I'll be fully satisfied and I get the act together, then maybe I'll be happy. Maybe then I'll be happy. Or maybe, maybe if I get a bigger, bigger bucket, maybe if I make more money, you know, maybe if I get a better car and, and, and I increase my income and maybe if I, you know, not that those things are bad, but maybe I'll be happy. Maybe I'll be happy then because I like big buckets and I cannot lie, right? So maybe, maybe if I get a bigger bucket, right? And Jesus is saying, woman, it's not about the bucket. It's not about the bucket. How many buckets 
how many buckets will you go through before you realize that the reason you're not satisfied is not because of something that you're missing. It's because you've got the wrong bucket. You're standing at the wrong well. I'm the real well. You've been going to Jacob's well and you're still thirsty. Why don't you try me out? Why don't you try me out? Verse 15. Please, sir, the woman said. She gets it, right? No, she doesn't. Give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. <laughs> She's still thinking about the bucket. If I had some magic water. You got that magic water, Jesus? I'll take one of those. Just show me where it is. And I guess Jesus finally had enough playing games with her. Because Jesus will try to show you something, but if you don't get it, if it goes over your head, if you're not listening to him, he'll just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. And he will not stop digging until he finally strikes that part in you that you've been trying to hide. What about you? What's that thing in you that you've been wanting to keep a secret? Because Jesus wants to reach that point this morning. And he won't stop digging. You can keep running. He'll keep pursuing. 16. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. On the surface, on the surface this, this seems like a, a harmless request. Hey, go get your husband. But as you're about to see, this woman's situation is a lot more complicated than you or I think. And so she tells him in verse 17 the truth, but not the whole truth. She's a little deceitful with Jesus. But you can't, you can't trick Jesus. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus says, yeah, you got that right. You don't have a husband. She's thinking, wow, I dodged a bullet on that one. I mean, that's why I came here at noon, because I didn't want to see anybody. It's a good thing he doesn't know that much about me. But as you're about to see in a moment, he goes to that place that she would have wanted to hide. And he speaks about those things that she would have wanted to forget so that he could surface her real need. He doesn't give her what she hoped for, water from Jacob's well, so that he could give her what she really needs, water within herself. And sometimes God will look past what you want so that he can give you what you really need. I heard a, I heard a story, uh, before I tell you what it says in verse 18, there's a story of a woman, you know, I don't know if it's true, it's probably just a preacher's story that, you know, I heard, but it's kind of funny. Uh, there's a story of a woman who one time wa who wanted uh, 1 John 4.18 on her wedding cake. She was getting married, so she wanted 1 John 4.18 on her wedding cake, which says, the scripture says, there's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Maybe you've heard that scripture. This was her favorite verse, and she wanted it on her wedding cake. And so the week of her wedding, the baker called her and asked, are you sure this is what you want on your wedding cake? And she said, yeah, I'm sure. This is my favorite scripture. I've, I've prayed about it. This is what I want on my cake. And so they were shocked on their wedding day. 
Because instead of 1 John 4.18, the baker had accidentally heard and put on the cake. John 4.18, and here's John 4.18. For you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. All joking aside, you've had five husbands. You're right when you say that you don't have a husband. In fact, you have, you've had five husbands, and the one that you're sleeping with right now, you're not even married to him. You've certainly spoke the truth. Can we give Jesus some credit here? Okay? Jesus loves you, okay? I really believe that. But Jesus is not afraid to go to the place and call the things out in your life that you're trying to hide. And you don't like that part, but it's okay. Because <laughs> Jesus is going to keep digging. Because only when he's done something in you, then can you be used by him. And so, let's give Jesus some credit here. He doesn't just let this woman just sneak in and out of the well, and he'll do this to you. He'll stay after you, won't he? He'll keep coming after you. Some of you, God has been pursuing you through all kinds of nonsense, through all kinds of foolishness, and he will call out that one place in your life that you don't want anybody else to know. He will call out that place in your life where you don't want anybody else to go because he has full access to your heart. And he says, you've been looking for water in all the wrong places, dear woman, and you're still thirsty. You're still thirsty. Five husbands, and you're having sex with the sixth, but you're still not satisfied. You're religious, but you're still not satisfied. You're popular, but you're still not satisfied. You're making good money, but you're still not satisfied. Jesus says the reason you're not satisfied is because you are looking for water at the wrong well. And the woman says, sir, you must be a prophet. Like she's like, no. This guy knows everything about me. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? You know what she's doing here? She's changing the subject. Yeah. She's changing the subject because now it's gotten a little too real. It's a little too personal. This man at the well is speaking about things she doesn't want to talk about. And this is what we do with God, don't we? We start coming up with all these excuses and reasons in order to justify what we're doing. Baptism, or maybe I'll go to another church. It's just like, you want to make excuses because now it's getting too real. Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman. I love that we never know her name. Because it allows us to be this woman. The longest record, recorded conversation in the whole Bible, and we never get her name. However, the purpose of the story is not that we would get this woman's name, but that we would see Jesus through her experience. It goes on to say, 
Jesus says, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You're getting all caught up in all these little things. Guess what? You know, I've been to heaven, and you're going to be shocked when you get there anyways. And so you might want to argue about all these things, but it's all pointless. There's a time that's coming where it will not longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him. For salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it is here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. God says, I've had enough of your pretend religion. I've had it with you coming to church just to check a chore off your list. I've had it with you pretending like you know me. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, Christ in you, I want to make my home inside of you. I want to come into every area of your life. I want to be the center of your priorities. I want a true, true worshiper who will worship me in spirit and in truth. I don't need you to be perfect. I don't need, to give, I don't need you to give me all the right answers. I need you to be honest, and I need you to admit your need for me. I need you to stop running to other men. I need you to stop running to other women and open up your heart and let me into your life. Let me dig well in you. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. Which is interesting because I thought we were supposed to seek God, which we are. But did you know God is seeking you? The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. He is seeking us. He came to the well just for you. The one and only God had to come down into this world for you. And in verse 24, as we wrap up this message, for God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Then the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. We always want to push our relationship with God for something in the future, right? Like maybe when I get it all together, then, I'll, then I'll, I'll know Jesus. No. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, he's like, I am the Messiah, the one you're talking about. I am he. I'm the one. God is saying to someone today, I'm the well that you've been looking for your whole life, but you didn't know where to look. I'm the well. What your five other husbands couldn't give you, I can give you because I'm the one. What a lifetime of pursuing pleasure could never do for your soul, I can do because I'm the one. The peace that you can never get, no matter how much money you make, I can give it because I'm the one. I am peace. I am truth. I am joy. I am life. And I'm willing if you just believe in me, if you let me in today. Just then his disciples came back and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? Verse 28. Then the woman left her water jar 
beside the well. Who she met at the well became way more important than what she came to the well to get. I love that. I don't need the bucket anymore. Let me leave that right there. The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? She's not certain about everything yet. She hasn't got her life completely fixed up and everything's all good, but she has enough faith to take that first step. She has enough faith to leave her bucket at the well. And something interesting happens in verse 30 because sometimes God will use the most unlikely people to bring people to Jesus. So don't ever think God can't use your life. No matter how far off it seems. And in verse 30, so the people came streaming from the village to see him. These people followed this woman to meet the one that she had met. You want to know what my desire is? I don't, I don't have it up on screen, but John chapter 4, verse 42, you want to hear it? Yeah, you want to hear it. I know you do. Okay, verse 42. Then they said, after they met Jesus, then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. You know, they streamed, they came to Jesus to meet him, but then they came to their own conviction. He is the Messiah. This week is Easter and I just want to urge us, if Jesus has done something in you today, in your life, let it flow out from you. Let it flow out from you into other people. A lot of people won't come to church, but they will come to church on Easter and Christmas. And this is an amazing opportunity that we have to let what happened inside of us flow out from us into other people people. And what I love is that this woman came to a well, she met a well, but then she became a well. God wants you to be a well for other people. And there's no better opportunity than this week as Easter approaches, as the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to bring people. But that's why she didn't need a bucket anymore, because now she was carrying water. She was carrying water. Once, God goes, God, once God's grace flows to you, it can flow through you. And she wasn't ashamed to tell everybody, I know I've made a lot of mistakes, but I met a man. The first time, she was never ashamed to say, I met a man. She said, I met a man. His name is Jesus. And now we know why he had to go through Samaria and sit down by a well. He didn't go to sit down by a well. He came to Samaria because he had to dig a well in this woman's heart. That's why he came to this earth. And he came to be crucified because he had to dig a well for us to be forgiven. And when he was resurrected and glorified in heaven, he sent down his Holy Spirit to come and live in us. He was digging a well. He was digging a well within you that could receive the Holy Spirit and live in you. He said, I'm more concerned what's going on in you than what's going on around you. And today Jesus wants to dig a well in your heart. And that's why in this life, sometimes we have to be disappointed. That's why sometimes we can't make sense of everything that is going on. Because in those times, God is digging a well in your heart. He's the one who has seen everything that you've ever done. Think about that for a moment. He's seen everything that you've ever done. And as we take communion,
right now, know that even in your most sinful and most shameful moment, your most darkest place, Jesus said, I saw you on that road. And I've been waiting for you because I want you to drink from this well. Let's pray for communion. Father, thank you for this morning. God, thank you that Jesus isn't afraid to dig deep. And God, as we take communion this morning as a time that we reflect on what Jesus has done, I pray that we would really dig deep into our hearts. What is the place that we've been hiding, that we've been wanting to hide and keep away from everybody else, but the place that your son Jesus wants to make his presence known this morning. And what a message of hope that Jesus would go to a place that was, the, that was just so looked down upon just so that he can meet one woman. And God, you're willing to go out of your way this morning to minister to us. Change us from the inside out. God, this isn't just a once a day a week we come here and message, but God, you desire that this would go into every day of our week, that we would be changed, that tomorrow on Monday we would be changed. On Tuesday we would be changed even more. On Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, God, you desire that we would be changed even more. And so as we take communion, do a new thing in us, Father. Holy Spirit, thank you so much for what you do. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice. Father, we want to lift up your name today. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.